get to heaven is uh, actually sing the wondrous love of Jesus might be the name of that hymn. Uh, beautiful hymn. Good morning to you all. It's uh, good to see you here. And uh, if you picked up a bulletin on your way in, you may notice, uh, as always, we have all sorts of ongoing events. And I just want to, in case you didn't pick it up, because you already know what's on it. Uh, we do have Awana back up every Wednesday, 6 to 8. We have youth group tonight. We're starting a new series called Renegade, the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, women also have their uh, Bible studies going. They have a morning Bible stud study option. Uh, start, started last week, I guess. This looks like an old bulletin. Maybe I have an old bulletin, guys. Sorry. I, I don't think I do. But they started last week. Uh, and so, so there's uh, two uh, time options. You have the morning Bible study, 9.30 a.m., and evening Bible studies at 6.30 p.m. here at the church. Uh, young adults meet every Saturday at 6 p.m., and they're going through the book of 1 Timothy. So if you are a young adult, uh, you are encouraged and welcome to come to that. Uh, I am reading Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16. And before I do that, I just want to mention that this uh, building that we have next door, uh, I would say it's about a 95% done or so. Um, I think the only big thing pending is the parking lot and the landscaping, and they're working on that uh, currently. So uh, that's, that's something to look forward to this year, the inauguration of our new building, finally. And uh, so keep on praying for that, that that would be the case. Uh, also pray for the different health concerns among or church body. There seems to be uh, quite a number of them, so keep, uh, keep, keep that in your prayers as well. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 16. Can we pray? Uh, Father, we are thankful this morning for your love and just for this opportunity to come together as your body, as a church, and to worship you and be encouraged by, by your word. And we pray that we would bring glory to your name this morning by the words we sing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how 
sin and penalty At the cross you took my pain With your grace on top of grace Lord, how you love me I don't deserve
stranger to the prison I've worn shackles and chains But I've been freed and forgiven I'm not going back, I'll never be the same I 
will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so
Please be seated. Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church and our worship service this morning. If you're online joining with us, if this is your first time here, children, you guys can go to Children's Church. It's a children's church kind of day, if that's what you do. And I'm going to invite the rest of you to go ahead and open up to 1 John chapter 4. We're still going to continue our series, which if you've been here once or twice, that's your expectation. But I say it every time just so we know that the screen is what I'm going to do for the most part, right? So you see that, that's what we're going to do. Um, But we're going to pray together this morning uh, as well before we delve into the Word here. Um, As Jacob mentioned, we do have proportionately a a number of concerns, right? There's never a time where we shouldn't be praying for each other. There's never a time where we don't have something, uh, particularly health-wise, I think, to pray for. But right now it does seem like we have many, and either in our direct family or, you know, in our, the family of our direct family here at El Paso Bible Church. So I want to make sure that we do that together uh, just as a priority. And we want to do that. If you would, join with me. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the joy that it is. We talk about the privilege, and we thank you for the right and the freedom. But today, we thank you for the joy that it is uh, to come together and to be led in a time of wonderful singing, uh, wonderful worship with skilled leadership there. Uh, Enjoy that. We thank you for the time we get to spend in your word. But right now, we even thank you for this time that we come before you as your children. Uh, with these requests. And Father, we do ask uh, for healing for those who are currently in the hospital, for Steve Myers, uh, particularly, who has served so faithfully at El Paso Bible Church and continues to do so, even in the midst of this uh, cancer diagnosis. Father, just pray uh, for healing for him. Uh, we know that uh, prognoses are not prophecies. And Father, we know that you heal, that what you will heal and you, everything is within your power. And so we ask for that this morning. Uh, and Father, we also pray for Gloria, uh, who's also uh, in the hospital now with uh, pneumonia. Uh, and the same, Father, we ask for healing for her quick, uh, in a quick amount of time, so that she would be restored uh, to her family uh, in her residence and here at El Paso Bible Church, as we've missed her as well. Father, we know that currently there are things probably that people are suffering that we don't know about, and we pray for those too. We know that you are not surprised by that. Uh, Father, we ask for peace. We ask for wisdom and discernment as well for everyone here as we face a world that is in the grips of uncertainty. Father, we know that we are given the privilege and the blessing of not wandering about aimlessly through this world, but knowing what it is that you would have us do, particularly as we go through 1 John this morning. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So hopefully you, you got your Bibles open or your screen clicked or whatever you do for, to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, and just remember, you know, 1 John, we've talked about this at length, uh, that we need to understand the distinctions, 
that are being made in 1 John. And the reason that it's so important is because we're not created. We were not newly created, particularly. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are not new creations here intended to live in misery, right? And that's, that's not some form of prosperity doctrine, right? We're not telling you that the key to your successful experience of life is the car you drive or your bank account or your house or whatever you've got, uh, but that the joy that comes in our lives comes in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of suffering through fellowship. And John tells us that that is the fullness of joy, the key to the experience of the fullness of joy in our lives. And so he has made that point, right, that we're distinguishing between those believers who are experiencing joy and those who aren't, those who are experiencing discipline and those who are experiencing fellowship. Uh, And that's the main distinction that's being made in 1 John. Uh, And to make it something else, which the vast majority of people seem to do, misses the entire point. The entire point of 1 John, because they use it to try to tell you how you can know who a believer is or isn't. And that's not the point. There's only one set of unbelievers mentioned in the whole book, and that is those who went out from us, that it would be known that they were not of us. There's a distinction, a demarcation. But everywhere else, he says, we and us and our, that our joy would be made full, that we have been loved by God the Father with this great love. So it's all about us how we live obediently or disobediently, that it has to do with believers, justified people, the church. And he starts out, and and this is necessary, right, uh, with remediation. What happens is as a believer, you recognize that you are lacking joy, therefore you are lacking fellowship. What do you do in your life? And that is to recognize sins that you've committed against other people, against God, and to confess those as the remediation for an absence of joy. Uh, And that's important, right? When we sin against each other, when we sin, period, we shouldn't just fluff that off. Oh, well, you know, I'm a sinner. I've had people tell me that. Um, That doesn't fly with me, right? That's an excuse. We, I know you're a sinner. You don't have to tell me that. You know I'm a sinner. I don't have to tell you that, right? Right? right. I don't have to tell you that. I'm a sinner. But what it's talking about is when we've sinned against somebody, we need to confess what we have done against them. And I've even done that from here a time or two um, as well, admitted that. It's necessary when we do that. But I don't know about you, I'm, I'm known as the Mr. Fix-It guy. Everybody's like, oh, Josh just fixes everything. Well, you know why? Because I had to. <laughs> I don't just wake up in the morning and go, man, golly, I hope all this crap breaks so I can fix it. <laughs> I don't. I get kind of tired of that. Anybody else? I get kind of tired of that. I can remediate all sorts of things. I can do it four times as fast as the next guy. I praise the Lord for YouTube, right? Because you can learn all sorts of things right on your phone as you're suffering under the vehicle on jack stands. Harbor freight jack stands, guys. Whoo, I'm a daring man. They got sued for their jack stands or whatever. Recall. 
if you don't know. I get tired of having to remediate things, and John doesn't leave us there. Well, if you have a joy problem, therefore you have a fellowship problem, this is how you can fix it, Mr. Fix-It. This is how you can make it all better. At some point, we should understand that. I hope that you understand that that there's a remediation process there, that we understand that fellowship is a joyful thing, therefore it is a desirable thing. But fix, 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 fix is not... I would put that in the camp of surviving rather than thriving necessarily all the time. I tell people this all the time. I'm very well schooled in the art of survival. And I don't mean in wilderness camp, you know, or army survival school or whatever, but just making it in my life. When I get confused is when God asks me to administer thriving. Yeah? Anybody else? I get confused when things aren't hard. I get a little bit concerned waiting for the other boot to drop on my face. When stuff stops breaking all the time, I know it's a problem. I need to adjust my thinking. And again, I'm not talking about prosperity thinking here, but it becomes difficult to engage things at some point that are not difficult. Feel less prepared for that. But John doesn't want us to do that. He says, we want you to experience, this is how to remediate, this is how to fix it when you're experiencing a lack But in the book, as it transitions, he says, you can go beyond that. You can, you don't just need a band-aid. You don't just need the zip strips in your life, right? Y'all spend a lot of money on zip strips. Gentlemen, I seem to spend a lot of money on Gorilla Tape and zip strips. You can go beyond that. You can build better. You can make better. And that's where John's transitioning to. We can can then, we've been provided with the resources to understand what is good for our joy, what is good for our maturity, what is good for our growth, what is good for the body, how to love more and better than we did a week ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago or for some of y'all like 70 years ago. I I can't say that yet. But you can grow instead of fix. He told us how to discern between teachers, how to find teachers that you should listen to, teachers that are not teaching according to the Antichrist, but according to the Spirit of God. Somebody who confesses Jesus Christ says the same things about Jesus that he said about himself, that God's Word says about him doesn't ignore who he is or worse, say something heretical about him. Somebody sent me a sermon a while back and I looked at the title of the, it was a YouTube video. They said, what do you think about this sermon? He seems to have make a lot of sense. Um, the, the name of the ministry was Biblical Unitarianism. Unsubscribe from that channel because that person doesn't teach that Jesus is God, that's a, that should be a red flag to you. That should be a red flag to you. That's not saying the things about the Jesus that the Bible says, that Jesus said. 
The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning. Preexistent with the Father is what that means. He is God. More than that, we can identify where this teaching is coming from, but we can observe God's love in another believer. In other words, we can identify when somebody is acting in a mature way, loving one another as someone to emulate, and we can identify that they have grown in intimacy with God the Father. Remember, we can't tell somebody's going to heaven when they die by whether they love or not, but we can tell whether they are reliable because they know truth about who God is and what God wants them to do by how they love. And reliability is a pretty important thing that we ought to be able to assess in the body of Christ. Know who you can depend on. And we know more than that. We know what basis Jesus will use to evaluate us at the bema, the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, you need to understand what judgment means. It means evaluation. It doesn't mean punishment. It is not the whipping seat of Christ. It is the evaluation seat of Christ. He's not going to flail you with a cat of nine tails at the bema, but we all do appear there. He's going to evaluate how we stewarded our lives that he's given us freely by his grace. And we know that the basis for that is how we love one another, how we emulate God's character because God is love. So that's an obligation. It's, it's an obligation that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, as children of God in the same family, to love each other, to seek each other's good sacrificially, and it will be sacrificially. Love is intrinsically sacrificial, actually. I think I can say that. But when we love, we can have confidence in our evaluation of how we lived our lives. We have the privilege of seeing God's love perfected in us, brought to its purpose, achieving its desired result. And it's important if we're going to do that, as well as using it to determine who the good teachers are and who the Antichrist teachers are, that we, we ourselves have a good Christology, that we can... We confess Jesus Christ ourselves. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God. The Savior of the world. And the very last phrase that we looked at last week was one, and my, my wife kind of mentioned, she does this all the time. She's very, very nice about it. You'd never know that she's addressing a deficiency in my sermon. It's okay. That's what she's there for. That's why she sits on the front row. But if she addresses it, she's, she, no, I'm sorry, I embarrassed her. I value this ministry in my life above many, many things that people think their jobs are sitting in the pews here, okay? You are not here to tell me, remind me that I buy my clothes at Tractor Supply because I don't care, you know. But I do care about how this goes. Um, that we didn't talk about the phrase in depth. And it's, the reason is that was actually intentional. She observed it. It was real. It was intentional. And that is because it's a transition. It says there at the end of verse 14... Excuse me, not verse 14, verse 17. As he is, because as he is, so also are we in this world. That there is a similarity, a glaring similarity between the way that Christ is and the way that we 
are in the world. It's a transition, in my opinion, my understanding of how this goes. Remember, the verses are not there in the original text. That's not the inspired numbering there. It's a transition in the text. What John is telling us is that we, as God's children, have the ability to access, I guess, would be a good word, the same power that Jesus Christ lived by in a a very real sense. Because the the theological term that we use to describe what Jesus did is condescension. Sometimes we would use the word kenosis, that he emptied himself of prerogative and privilege and certain measures of access to knowledge and things like that. Remember that Jesus himself said, of that day and that hour no man knows, only the Father knows. He did that voluntarily. And so when he walked on this earth, he lived by the power of the Spirit. That's how you're supposed to do it, to walk and step with the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit in obedience. He had the right to greater privilege and power than what he claimed and exercised so that we would know how to live. And I think that connection draws us into verse 18 because as he is, so also are we in this world. And then verse 18 says, there is no fear in love. One of the things that you are struck by as you read through the Gospels, which is essentially the record of Jesus Christ's ministry on the earth, is how utterly and absolutely fearless Jesus Christ is on this earth. A couple summers ago, in fact, well, recently, I just read a news story in Atlanta. People were shooting fireworks at the police station. What in the world is going on in the world? where people feel comfortable at liberty to shoot fireworks at a police station. A few summers ago was the summer of rioting and mobbing, right? If you're a reasonable, thinking, mature adult male, the things in your life that should concern you are being in an uncontrolled mob of individuals. Yes? You don't know what's going on. In fact, before we were even married, this was a concern of mine with my wife. My sons refer to me as a giant once they found out that there's some ambiguity as to how tall Goliath is in the Bible. He could have been, what, 6'9", Micah, right? So a little bit taller than Pastor Josh at the shortest, that's what they say, maybe, kind of. My wife is not quite so giant, you all know this, yes? I won't say anything other than that. She's not quite as giant as me. And I said, sweetheart, if we ever find ourselves in the middle of a mob, you grab my belt and don't let go. Don't let go. What does Jesus do when he faces a mob with stones in their hands? Remember, bigger than the fist, smaller than the head. That's how they stoned people. Big rocks, not little pebbles. What did Jesus do? Walked right through them. Didn't have any fear. How many times? He stood before the Roman governor 
who said to him, don't you know that I have the power to let you live or make you die, essentially? He said, you have no power over me except what was given to you by the Father. Do not ever separate Jesus' fearlessness from his love. There is no fear in love, perfected love. John will extend this, but that's what we need to understand, that Jesus was demonstrating love in its extremist, in its objective, in its perfection. That's what Jesus was doing, and there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. We ought to talk about fear because the Bible does use fear in different ways. That shouldn't surprise you by now. Uh, one of the key ways that we see it, especially in the, in the Old Testament, but extending into the New Testament, we'll talk about the instances here in a second, is the idea of fearing God. And a lot of people will, will try to line up a demarcation between the Old Testament and the New Testament on that basis that they had to fear God but we do not have to fear God, and that's, that doesn't fly. I'll explain why in a minute. But that's the fearing God. Sometimes it's, it's worshiping God, placing Him in the proper priority of worship in the community, in the nation of Israel. That's the idea. That's an idea that extends into the New Testament. But it's not the idea of terror, right? Some people we say are kind of addicted to fear. They like to go watch horror movies or something, or they like to, they, they have mistaken dopamine for fear. <laughs> they like to drop off of cliffs or jump out of planes or whatever. That's really not the idea of fear in Scripture, not that. But reverence and worship, that's, that's a, a synonym for that. Phobetomai, the verb is used like that. It means to place God in the proper priority in relationship to oneself, to reverence him, to worship him. And the New Testament has that standard. For, in 2 Peter 2.17, one of my favorite verses because it does establish the priority of your relationships in the earth. It says, honor all people. Honor all people. Love the brethren. Fear God and honor the king. So it is a New Testament standard. Within the relationships that you have in this world, notice that the honor you give to all people, that's the same standard as you relate to the king. He's just a human being. Honor all people, honor the king, love the brethren, fear God. That's not the kind of fear that John is talking about here, right? Right? The kind of fear that he's talking about is the idea of terror. There is no terror in love. Being scared to death, being scared stiff, being terrified to the breaking point. I don't know if you've ever been terrified like that where it was just paralysis. There's no fear like that in love. As he is, so are we in this world. Now understand, Jesus always kept his functional relationship with the Father. 
always. We see that, right, when he's in the garden and he's deep in prayer with the Father. And he says, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours. Absolute, complete, total submission to the Father's will. In that sense, he always had that proper priority of the Father's will in his life. He feared God in that sense. That priority was there in his earthly ministry, certainly. He walked through the murderous mobs fearlessly. He stood toe-to-toe with Pilate, but he feared no man, and he feared no man, not even a demon-possessed man. Which, let me tell you, (laughs) the Gerasene demoniac, when you're reading that, I don't think you're getting the terror that that situation inspired. Jesus just strikes up a conversation. (laughs) I don't know that you should do all the things that Jesus did. You come across somebody in the throes of that kind of possession. Perfect love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has pain. Punishment. That's what my NASB says here. This is why you shouldn't misunderstand. There are two different words, judgment versus this kalesis here. It's actually not even referring at all to the sentence. It's literally referring to the, the pain that the punishment brings. Fear has pain. And it's the same pain, essentially, as punishment. Fear has that. I'm reminded of the the saying, right, the courageous man dies once, but the coward dies a thousand times. Fearful people live in pain. It's destructive. It shortens their life. (laughs) causes all sorts of physical ailments. (laughs) Destroys literally just the way they see life. Living in fear. Perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. In other words, if you want to live courageously in this life, anybody? I want to live courageously in this life. I I sometimes presume that everybody wants to do this. You don't necessarily, you should. Nobody should want to be a coward. Right? It, we don't live in the world of the crudes. Do you remember the movie The Crudes? Their credo? Never not be afraid. Never not be afraid. That's of course even in the movie that didn't work out, right? Right? Cute movie anyway. If you want to be courageous in your life, then the key is not to build courage. Itself. The key is to build love for one another. 
in its end, in our maturity, in our understanding of who God is, in the knowledge of him, our love is perfected. And perfect love, completed love, casts out fear. So if you want to be courageous, the key to that is to love one another. Fear has pain associated with it. Love doesn't come with that kind of liability. It doesn't come with pain, and it's unpunishable in the ultimate sense. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves pain, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. You may not realize the amount of confidence that Christianity has versus all other religions. But every other religion of which I'm aware, and I've learned of a number of them, over my time in ministry and even previously, the confidence that the one you worship loves you already is foreign to anything but Christianity. You are simply put in a position where you are, I mean, you would, you would refer to a human doing this to you as dysfunctional and narcissistic, but that's every other deity that humanity worships that you spend your whole life earning love which is never confirmed that you ever get. Now, if I were a psychotherapist, I could be describing some people's parents, but not anybody's good parents. Christianity is the only, only, only worship structure, religion, if you will. It is a religion. We don't, despite the cute little saying, it's been on bumper stickers since the 70s, I guess, or 60s. It is a religion, and we do worship a deity who is worthy of worship, but he is the only father who is good out of all of them. He is the only one who loves first and then commands his children to love as they have been loved. We love because he first loved us. When we love, we are free from fear because he first loved us, and we are free to love others because he first loved us. If anyone says, or if someone says, I love God, verse 20, and hates his brother, he is a liar. I reminded you a couple of weeks ago that when you see something described negatively in the Scripture, you should not automatically assume that it's referring to an unbeliever. That is a foolish mistake because believers can make foolish decisions and sinful decisions, and they can lie, can't they? Yeah? I know that I have lied as a believer on occasion. It Especially if you became a believer as a young child like I did, there's all sorts of opportunity, right? 
As I was a child of my parents and a child of God, I had a lot of growing to do still. But if someone says, I love God, and Maseo hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, the word hate, we talked about this in Sunday school a little bit, and everybody's favorite passage in Deuteronomy, by the way, Deuteronomy 22 and 23. That's, I'm being facetious, satirical. I'm not uh, lying here, but it's a difficult passage. But there it talks about if a husband comes to hate his wife, and we talked about the fact that the nature of the hate relationship is not what we think. You may hate a certain TV personality, and so you will turn off the TV because you're emotionally distraught every time you hear that person and you hate them. The word hate, when it's used in the Bible frequently, is a comparative. Right? For instance, God says in, in the Old Testament, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. That's a unique statement because in our passage here in Deuteronomy this morning, it said, you are not allowed, Israelites, to hate Esau. <laughs> You're not allowed to treat Edom poorly. You're not allowed to hate them. When God says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, he's emphasizing the tremendous unique love that he has for Israel which in comparison is disregard for Esau, for Jacob. I'm sorry, I'm mixing them. Jacob and Israel says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. That's the reference. In other words, you may not be able to identify a brother in the Lord that you gnash your teeth and scowl every time you think of them. Now, I'm not saying you don't either. There are some names that I speak that make my teeth hurt, and they're believers. I'm working on this, guys, on occasion, because they have done me great harm. It's not without cause. It's not without reason. Paul even identified people in his life who had done him great harm. He was subjective and open about that. But it could simply be a disregard, a failure to love, a failure to be gracious towards another believer. It does not have to be that you have oriented your life in a cosmic mental battle, an emotional stress level that is trying to destroy the other person, but it could simply be a failure to meet your obligations to love. To disregard them. Remember, though, that the distinction, the primary distinction in 1 John is this. It is between brothers who are acting according to their obligation and brothers who are not. That's actually what it says here, right? One who hates his brother. Who has a brother in 1 John? A believer. So not only can believers be liars, they can be hateful liars. <laughs> so don't make the mistake of saying that just because that sounds distasteful that it's not talking about believers, because you're going to miss a lot in the Bible. If you make that assumption, you'll just say, well, that refers to somebody else, not me. Well, hopefully you're not a hateful liar believer 
And hopefully it doesn't apply to you. But it could. An unbeliever can hate a believer, but he can't hate his brother. An unbeliever can hate a believer, but he cannot hate his brother. He doesn't have one. Loving God also, remember, is not the same as trusting Jesus. Loving God is equated with knowledge of God. Trusting Jesus, you you know this intrinsically, we've talked about it, trust is not the same as knowledge. Trust implies a lack of knowledge, doesn't it? Scripture makes that clear, that faith will eventually come to an end because it will be sight. When we see it and it's knowledge, then we're no longer in a faith position. We're walking by faith now because our knowledge is incomplete. When our knowledge is complete, we won't need faith. It will be sight. So we know intrinsically, we know intrinsically that loving God is not the same thing as trusting Jesus. That loving God about knowing God, trusting Jesus is trusting Jesus. It's its own thing. Loving God is based on knowledge and intimacy, time, a process. So when we know that someone is a believer and we're never commanded to tell somebody, I don't think you're going to heaven when you die in Scripture, and they have failed to love us, how do we respond to that? Or when we, (laughs) this is even harder, when we have recognized that we have failed to love our brother, how about that? twist the knife a little bit. When we have failed to love, what is the resolution? Because a lot of people screw this one up. They'll tell you that you're a dirty dog unbeliever and you still need to really trust Jesus for eternal life. That is not the Bible's solution for that. If you recognize that you have hated your brother and that is an impediment to your claim that you love and know God, the resolution is to learn more about God so that you can love your brother. And some of the fringe benefits are so you can live courageously. Because isn't that often the obstacle to sacrificially loving people is you fear what the consequences are. What are the consequences if I give this much to that person and I'm wrong? What are the consequences If I act in this way, if I invest this much in this human being, if I invest this much in this body of believers, and I'm wrong, there is no fear in love. You don't have to fear that stuff. There's only one measure that God evaluates, that Jesus evaluates, the children of God at the Bema, and that is love for one another. And we could talk about the application of that one principle. That's many and varied. But love is the key. Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. Because the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Remember, John told us no one has seen God at any time. But the one who loves his brother abides in him, and he in him. There's a lot of pronouns in that statement, that reciprocal relationship. 
A lot of people think that seeing Jesus, seeing God would solve all their problems. That's not true. I don't think. Your problems will all be resolved at the same time. But John states it very clearly. You, you do not have the capacity to have a disjunction between the way you love God's children and the way you love the Father. Your physicality requires the ability to perceive your brother like that. And if you can't bring yourself to love God's children, then you're a liar when you say you love God. Believers. Believers. This commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God is obligated to love his brother also. Your Bible probably says should. It's ophelo. It's an obligation. You might even say a debt. It's a commandment, not a suggestion. They're called orders. Anybody like to get ordered around? (laughs) This is a commandment. This is a commandment. If you can, I understand. I do understand. I, I have empathy with people who have trouble taking orders from other humans. I do. Most of the people who have given me the most su- severe, stupid, unwise, foolish, idiotic orders have been the people with the least credibility to do so in human terms. One of the liabilities of my personality traits, however, is that I don't put up with that very well. And so then I remove myself from that authority structure. You don't have that option with commandments that come from God, your loving Father. I don't have that option. Your loving Father has told you that to cast out fear from your life To live courageously, the key is to love your brother and that it is good for us to do that and that it is the one thing that we'll be evaluated on in the future. We're obligated to do that, to love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the focus in 1 John on the relationships between your children on this earth, um, for the importance and the priority of it. So, really, second only to our relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for the clarity and the directness of it, that there's no ambiguity in your requirements for how we live our lives. We thank you for it. We thank you most of all for this life at all that you have given us by grace through faith in your Son. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. If you stand with us, we'll dismiss with a song. Great.
than I've asked for, more than I'm worth. Grace on top of grace. How sweet the sound, once lost, now found. Heaven came down, and grace rescued me. sin and penalty at the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace you're dismissed God bless you